tree. And I was, Quinn was put into trim, man. He said he was working his way to heaven. And I, he was joking about that and stuff. You know, salvation by Jesus alone. But John chapter 3. Um, I have several announcements I need to give because I don't have a printed bulletin out yet. But remind me after church services to um, go over those after the preaching of the word um, to um, give those. Um, John chapter um, 3. Yes, it would help if I turned there as well. Um, John 3 in verse 22. Hey, Solomon, can I go get a cup of water, please? Paper cup? That one's not one I'm drinking. John 3, verse 22 says, After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptized in Anan near to Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John was not yet cast in new prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond um, Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizer, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and hear of him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he have seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receive of his testimony. He that have received his testimony have set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God have set, sent speaketh word, the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father love of the Son, and have given all things into his hand. He that believeth on, me, on the Son have everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And um, we just thank you for God's word. The authorized word of God, it comes from you. And we're so thankful, grateful for it. That is by it we're challenged, we're motivated. It's by your grace we're able to receive it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So you read through John 3. You see, there are um, several things that Jesus basically says you must do, or, or what not necessarily you must do, but what must happen. And there is, first, there's the must of the sinner. 
that ye must be born again to see the kingdom of God. That there's no other way to enter the kingdom of God except by being born again. There's no other way. We see that in the passage of John chapter 3, um, that there's the must of the Son of Man, that He must be lifted up. As we preached last week, as Moses brought up the serpent of brass, and they would look to that as a symbol, and then when they were bit by the serpent, they would be spared and they would live, continue to live, because they looked. And Jesus would be lifted up on the cross. He would die on our behalf. And we must look to Him. And that Christ must be crucified. That, and God committed His love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But we see another must of the Savior from the, from the view of John the Baptist. That he that have the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and hear of him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. That John the Baptist was like, is the best man. You know what that? He was the one to proclaim, to announce Jesus. To announce the Lamb that would be slain um, before the foundation of the world, but then would be manifest before them. And this we see that, you know, there's different disciples. Um, after these, in verse 22, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land, and, and, and we see that they baptized. And John was not yet in prison. But there was a question between some of John's disciples. And, and, and they talk about how Jesus... And his disciples are baptizing people. And that people were no longer following very closely to John, but that they were following after Jesus. That they were following him. And they're, and they're confused. They're like, what's going on? Your disciples are going after this other man, Jesus. And Jesus or John was not offended in the least. We see that John says, He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, uh, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. All. And so John, his purpose was not to draw disciples after himself, but to draw disciples to the Savior, to Jesus Christ. Any preacher worth their soul. They're not trying to attract people to themselves, but they're trying to bring people to Jesus, to bring them to the Savior. We see that John also said, After me come of a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now understand that John the Baptist was actually born before Jesus was born. But yet John the Baptist recognized the deity and said that Jesus cometh before him. 
that Jesus is pre-assisting, that he had a beginning. Well, he had no beginning. He is the beginning and the ending. But he was here before he was manifest in the flesh. We see that John earlier on also, that he said that the lashet of his shoes, I am not worthy to stoop down and to unloose, to, to undisclose, uh, unloose. A man, who understand that John the Baptist was a man whom Jesus said was greatest born among women, sent by God. Yet in Christ's presence and greatness, the greatest man that Jesus spoke of said he was unworthy in Jesus' presence. That he felt unworthy. That untying the straps of sandals was the duty of the lowest of servants. Only a Gentile slave, a people they considered unclean, would ever be ordered to remove his master's shoes. The Hebrews' slaves, they were never to wash the feet of their master, nor to take their shoes off. But the Gentile slaves, the lowest of slaves, were able to be ordered to take off their master's shoes. But we see John the Baptist was seeing the greatness of Jesus as being so great that he himself, as John, was not worthy to do the lowest task of the lowest slave. He's like, I'm not even worthy of that. To be the lowest of slaves. And he wasn't saying, I'm greater than the lowest of slaves. He's saying, I'm beneath the lowest of all slaves. That he wasn't worthy to hold the office of the lowest slave. And we see that John the Baptist preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I. And we see then up to this passage, he continues that message, that he must increase, but I must decrease. It is not that Jesus needs to increase in who he is. He is already the one from above. He is already of heaven. He is already the Lord of lords. That He is already the King of kings. But that in our lives, in John's life, to Him, to us, our perception of Him must increase. That how we see Jesus in our day-to-day -day life must increase. It is not particularly easy for one person to gather multitudes of followers for a serious purpose. But when they are gathered, it is even harder to detach them and firmly insist that they go after another. You know, you think about in politics, okay? Say someone's been a senator for a while. They have someone else running against them. Whether it be in the primaries or the general election. You know what? You generally don't see them saying, you know what? I have all these followers. These peoples are my cheerleaders. 
But you know what? I filled my time. Follow after this one. Follow this one. Let them be your leader now. You don't see it. You see slander often on both sides. Every once in a while, there's some that could rise above and just speak policy without personal slander. But oftentimes, you don't see that. But it's kind of similar. You know what? You have this following. John the Baptist had many disciples following him. And he's like, you know what? You've been following. But you know what? This is the one you need to follow. I am not the Christ. I am not that prophet that you're thinking of. This is the Christ. This is the prophet. Follow ye him. He must increase and I must decrease. Must speaks of the divine necessity. It was God's will for John to give way to Jesus. There was no reason for the crowd to hang around John once the king had arrived. Because he understood this, John joyfully accepted God's plan for his ministry. He did not need to retain the spotlight. But he was able to transfer it off to someone else. And we see that John says that Christ came from heaven. He was not simply called from heaven or empowered by heaven. We see Jesus, we see John, they talk about they can't receive anything except it be given from heaven. With Jesus. It's not that he gets something from heaven. He comes from heaven. He is the creator of heaven. And he goes on that he that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And it's not even nine o'clock yet. We still got a few hours to go. Okay? <laughs> he not only spoke the words of God as the Father had sent him to do, but He is the very Word of God Himself. As we read earlier in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in Revelation 19.13, and He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and His name is called the Word of God. That Jesus is the Word of God that became flesh. We see that um, John wrote of Christ that he had the Holy Spirit without measure. There wasn't to a certain stopping point that he had the Spirit of God that, okay, he was three quarters for it, or he, was, um, he had this much of the Spirit. No, that he had completely, there was no measure, there was no law against how much of the Spirit Jesus had. It was infinite. You think about the Spirit of God. It moved fallible men, sinners, as prophets to speak the words of God. The Spirit of God, you sinners. But Jesus, the perfect Son of God, was given the Spirit without measure. 
We see that the Father sovereignly had granted all things into His hand. In verse 35, that the Father love of the Son and have given all things into His hand. The Father love of the Son. And the Son we know loved the Father. But that Jesus would be supreme over all. John had the attitude of, He must increase, but I must decrease. That is, He went about His ministry seeing that Jesus would increase. He would lift Jesus up. He would proclaim Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus high, lifted up, increase. But is he increases Jesus, that he himself would decrease. That he would fade out of the spotlight. That Jesus would be all, in all, out of all. And the question I want to ask you is, how can Jesus be increased in your life? He's already Lord of Lords. But how can He be increased in your life? I'm going to mention a few items, but only really the Spirit of God speaking to you could reveal to you the way He needs to increase in your life. And may your response to the conviction of the Spirit of God to be, yes, let Jesus increase and I decrease. He must increase in our concentration. The Bible says that John the Baptist was sent by God. That he was a man sent by God. And the root word in, in there that um, was sent actually comes from was as a military term. That is the military, the army, the marines, the navy. They would send people out. They would be sent out for a purpose. They would be sent out for a mission. I was asking Quinn about this with the army. About, you know, would they focus only on the mission? But apparently the army just goof off, got drunk, goof off. Not all of them though, right, brother? <laughs> but I read this of the Navy SEALs, and I know it happened, but the Navy SEALs said, the moment we were given a mission, it's all we talked about. All we thought about. We went to bed with it. We dreamed about it. We got up and talked about it until that mission was accomplished. It was everything that occupied our mind. We were on a mission. Or they were, we are on a mission. And then once that mission was done, okay, they could decrease. They could go back out of the spotlight. But in the meantime, that was their focus. That's what they thought about. We know that we are on a mission for Jesus, the King. May we get our mind off frivolous things and get it on the King and His mission. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalt of itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know what? The devil, the world, our flesh will battle 
for our mind. It'll battle over our mind. And all three of those, they battle for it for not a good thing. Okay, the devil wants to get our mind distracted from the things of God. You know what? The world wants to pull us away from church, wants to pull us um, away from following after Jesus. And then there's our flesh, our own mind, our thoughts. You know what? The lustful thought that may come to our mind. We're to cast down that imagination and put Christ there. It could be a heart of covetousness that no one else even sees. Something maybe you're not even outspoken talking about, but in your heart, in your seed. It's a spot of covetousness. The Lord, take this thought from me. You know what? You increase. Lord, whatever situation you put me through, wherever you have me, whatever state you have me in, and God has you in Washington State, Paul says, whatever state I am, therewith be content. So be content. You're in Washington State here, okay? Amen. Amen. No moving to Indiana, all right, Allison? <laughs> hey. We all have places that have been our home and stuff. It's good memories and stuff. And what Paul was saying, you know, whatsoever state, not talking about the fiscal location, but it would be applicable, but wherever God has us, how he has us, to be content. That Paul said, I learned to abound. There were, there were times in my life, in my ministry, I abound. And there were times in my life and ministry where we suffer great need but going to be content either way. That's what Paul was saying. But those imaginations, those bad thoughts that come to our mind, we need to be careful not to entertain those thoughts, but to cast down imaginations, every high thing that assault of itself against the knowledge of God. To look above, not of the travail and pain upon this earth, Everything is fine in our Father's house. The house that He's preparing for us in heaven. Everything's fine there. And as Christians, we're citizens of that kingdom already. Think about Jesus' attributes. Think about His omnipotence. He's all-powerful. Think about how He's always there for you. Even when you're going through a trial. Even when you're going through hardship. Even when you're just wanting to give up. Jesus is there. Put up those ideas of giving up. Cast it from you. Cast it down. And put Christ in there. You look in the Bible, Hebrews 11, that you'll see many that appear as, or not just appear, they were victorious. But you see many in Hebrews 11 as well, that they suffered. They suffered persecution. They suffered being put to death. Many of them suffered. But their faith was still the victory. Their faith was their victory. And sometimes in life, some of us are going to suffer more. Some of us are going to face greater persecution. Some of us are going to look like, man, they're just living victoriously. They're walking on water. Wherever Christ has us, let Him be increased. Let Him be glorified. You know what? When, you, when God's blessed you with much materially, you know what? Use that for God's glory. Use that to serve others, to be a blessing to other people.
But when you're suffering need, give God the glory. Pray to Him, God, I'm looking to you for provision. Whether you have much or little, give God the glory. And understand, He knows all things. Fear God and keep His commandments. Think of His love, of His mercy. May our mind increase in our thinking of Jesus. There's this saying, don't be too heavenly minded that you're no, of no earthly good. Heard preachers say that. And I understand usually what they mean. But you know, we can't be too heavenly minded. We can't think of Christ too much. There's no measure, no law against that. He's God. He's who we're to worship. He's the one that we're to decrease in front of and to see Jesus increase in our life. To see Him increase. He must increase in our communications. The Bible talks about men not always to pray and not to faint. Luke 18.1 says, And he spake a parable unto him to this end, that men not always to pray and not to faint. Is he increasing from your lips when you speak to him in prayer? You know, we just changed our Wednesday night service to, you know, focus on prayer. We'll read a psalm, but focus on prayer. You know, a lot of people at first, maybe in their mind, think, man, that's going to be boring. Well, you know, it's been sweet. It's been wonderful. So you know it share burdens with one another. And it's not like a drama, it's not a soap opera. You know what? We don't have our prayer meetings be, oh, pray for this person because you know what, man, they're just evil, they're wicked. Um, you know, we're not doing things like that. There are now sometimes people that, you know, there's things going on and they need prayer for. You know what? We see that Moses interceded for Israel when they were being disobedient to God. And so when we come, we may pray and intercede with a humble spirit, considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted in a manner. But it's not a gossip session. It's to lift people up in prayer. It's Jesus increasing from your lips. When you speak to Him in prayer? Or are your prayers primary about yourself? Now, there's nothing wrong with praying okay, for yourself. Okay? If you're going through a trial, you ask Jesus to help carry the burden. Okay? There's nothing wrong with that. Okay? Jesus says, you know, ask what you will and it will be given you. You know, you believe. But what's the majority of your prayer time? What's your focus? Is it praising and worshiping Him? Or is it, Lord, give me this? Bless me with this. Or is it, Lord, help me be a blessing to you. Help me do that which is pleasing in your sight. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. To glorify, to reveal, to make more clear. To give honor to Jesus. John was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. John lifted up the Messiah. Great works of God. You think about the great works of God throughout history. Great works of God rarely start in big places with big people. 
Instead, they usually start in small places. I think we qualify as small. Okay, you look around. Okay? I think we qualify as small. small okay? But usually start in small places with little people who have a big commitment and a big faith to be used of God. You know, you think of any great preacher that you think of in the past. They didn't start out with a great name. You know, what is it, Charles Spurgeon, okay? Worldwide known, you know, even by those that aren't Baptists, that many of them read his books, enjoy his material. But you know, even in his day, the Baptist Union hated him. They despised Charles Spurgeon. Because Charles Spurgeon preached against the worldliness in the church. That he preached Christ. That he preached against the extreme, the hyper-Calvinist that would say to people that if God, uh, if, God, if God wants to save people, it's actually something said, I believe it was to William Carey, that if God, or William Carey or Hudson Taylor, if God wants to save the heathen, he'll do it without you or me. They didn't want him to go on the mission. But you know what? God, who is sovereign, has given us the commission to go into all the world. And then Spurgeon, who himself was a self-proclaimed Calvinist, he considered himself a Calvinist, but in battling against a hyper-Calvinist, that when the Bible um, said that he will have all men to be saved, that his desire was that all men would be saved. Spurgeon said, this is inconsistent with my theology. I don't understand it. But who am I who am finite? Who am I who am a sinner to understand all of the mysteries that there may be about God? Who am I? And he says, I would much rather be inconsistent in my theology than to be inconsistent with the Word of God. That he said that he knew of the hyper-Calvinist that um, would say all here does not really mean all. And he goes, I know how they use the gunpowder and blow up the text to mean all does not mean all in these passages. And he goes, I see how in some passages... Okay, it's given, it's an expression, it's a figure of speech. Okay, when the Bible says, all men followed after him. Okay, that wasn't the entire men of the entire world. Okay, okay so he understood that sometimes it was used in those contests. But he said, in this passage, and it's, I believe it's 1 Timothy 2, 4, um, around there, if I'm remembering right, that he says, that would not do justice to this text. That it says, he will have all men to be saved. That he is the ransom for all men. Now that doesn't mean that all men are going to be saved. But that Jesus is the mediator. And that all men can be saved through Jesus Christ. And you know what? There's going to be things in different times. You know what? Someone will bring up this Bible passage. And will bring up this Bible passage. And the way I try to study. I try to see how it all reconciles. And oftentimes man. I could see the reconciliation. It fits beautiful like a hand in a glove. But there are times where we must admit that we don't understand it all. The Bible doesn't contradict, okay? 
But there are sometimes things that we may not understand completely. And we're not to be inconsistent with the Word of God. We're to study the Word of God. Okay, the Bible says, answer a fool according to his folly. Um, lest he be wise in his own conceit. And in another passage, it says, answer not a fool, fool according to his folly, lest thou be likened unto him. That's not a contradiction. That's where, okay, if someone doesn't understand, they can say, okay, I don't understand how that makes sense. But it does make sense, okay? In a wet shoy, there is a time to respond. To give a response. But oftentimes emotionally, when things are just emotionally based, you're not to act like them. You're not to get into the pit with them. They think you're a pig in the mud with them. He must increase. You know, churches often spend way too much time trying to figure out ways to draw people in with gimmicks. Okay? Now, I'm always trying to compel people for it so that God's house would be full. Okay? But we're not to be using gimmicks to do it. We're not to use entertainment to do it. We're to preach the Word. It's still by the foolishness of preaching that God has chosen to save those who believe. Our focus should rather be on, not on gimmicks, but should be to send people out. To be proclaimers of Jesus. So it's not always to foremost get people in, but to send people out to give the gospel, to preach the gospel. Not to be simply some kind of attractional church model. Not to just see, try to use purple lights to draw people in. Okay, I'm not saying, okay, a light that's purple is sinful at all. But you know what purple lights do outside on your porch? They attract strange bugs. And sometimes that's what it will do in church. He must increase in our dedication to truth and righteousness. John proclaimed that the king in his day, King Herod, was living in adultery. You know, he wasn't just trying to soften things up. He was not trying to make himself likable for people to come to him. No, he wasn't also just trying to be overtly rude. He wasn't ever trying to be a snob. He was trying to see Jesus increase. But he was not afraid to confront people with the truth of God's Word. Now, there isn't much of that type of preaching today. Oftentimes, the preachers will scan their audience... Uh, you know, let me correct that, okay? Yeah, it's not our audience. Well, in some churches, it is the preacher's audience, okay? But we're to be an audience for Christ, okay? You know, He, God, is actually our audience, okay? When we worship, we praise Him. We're not performing for the church. We're, lack of a better term, performing for Jesus, okay? We're worshiping and praising Him. Okay, but many preachers... They'll scan, they'll see, okay, what are some of the feelings or what are um, some of the people's views? And they won't touch on issues that they know will offend certain people. Well, I never try to offend anybody intentionally or on purpose. But we are to preach the Word of God even when it hurts. Even when it wounds us. We have a lot of puppets today rather than prophets. There is more fear of man 
then there is a fear of God. We see John the Baptist ends up getting arrested and that he's going to pay for his words, to pay for his faith. But John didn't seem too concerned. And when you are on the mission, you are not primary focus on what's going to happen to you. Hey, when Quinn went to battle in the army, you know what, no doubt, you know what, your life flashes between your, your life flashes between your eyes. You know, he's mentioned now, so many times he feels he should have perished. But when you're on that mission, you're not focused on yourself. You are focused on the mission. You're focused on maybe rescuing, saving others that maybe were in the battlefield. And you know, you look at the scriptures, you know, you look at the church, you, um, you look at the Christian, and there's so many analogies that the Bible gives to it. It doesn't talk about, um, you know what, you know what, Christians, let's go get in a hot tub, and let's go get a pedicure, let's be pampered. No, the Bible talks about us being soldiers in Jesus' army. That we're at battle. That there's Satan, a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That we are to take on the whole armor of God. Christianity, our faith, is a battle. It's not something we're just simply be pampered with. You know, and seeing God build His church, His local churches, it's a battle. It takes pioneering. It takes hard work. It's not for the faint at heart. For those that will give up too easily. Or even give up when they're worn out. The Bible says, Be not weary in well-doing, for we shall reap if we faint not. And sometimes that reaping may not be physical evidence in our eyes, but a reward cast from the Lord Jesus Christ that we could then cast before His feet. We see John Preach the word even when it offended people. He wasn't worried about what might happen to him, but that the mission got accomplished. John the Baptist wasn't focused on how he was perceived. Or John wasn't focused on how he was perceived. You know, I got good advice from a lady this last week. I said, you know what, in many things, you know what, you, don't, you want to be careful. You're not trying to put out fires everywhere. You know, because then you become a fireman, okay? Well, no, no, no offense to you, Quinn, okay? <laughs> He's a fireman, okay? Um, praise God for good firemen over there, okay? But it's a preacher, you know, it's not about putting fires out here or there. It, it, people may spread lies about me. They may spread lies about you. They, in social media world, it could go all over the internet. Okay, you, you even see, okay, it happens in the political world. The lies get spread. You know, if it could smear, it could slander, it could destroy someone, they'll use it. They'll use those tactics. But you know what? John did not care about how he was perceived. He mattered how Jesus was perceived, not how he himself feels. Any trial to John was worth it to him if Christ would be increased. He must increase in our spirit and our attitude. You need to speed up. Go ahead, write down Colossians 4 6, Ephesians 4 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, 
that it may minister grace unto the hearers. People don't care how much you know if your spirit is sour and haughty. People don't care. Yeah, I know that's not the way the cliche goes. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You know, both of them work. People don't care what you tell them about Jesus if your spirit is sour and haughty. People don't care. You know, if all they see is bitterness, if all they see is you tearing down one another, they see you gossiping, um, or, or you're commenting negatively on a young Christian that maybe doesn't have all the convictions or standards that a mature Christian may have, you know, it turns people away. Jesus must increase in our spirit and our attitude. You know, the Bible says of Jesus in Luke 4, 22, And all bear him witness and wonder that the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, it's not this Joseph's son. The gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. Man, wouldn't that be wonderful if someone saw you? Man, it's a mature Christian. A Christian that had a great walk with God. And rather than find judgment from you. Now, sometimes people are going to feel judgment from you. If you're walking with God, people are naturally going to feel convicted at times. But let it not be from your attitude. Let it not be from a spirit you're provoking intentionally. But let it just be the Spirit of God is working on them when they do see Christ in you. There is a difference. If you don't understand, you know, you could ask me more later. Okay, but... A strong stand with the wrong spirit makes our faith seem sour. You know, really nationwide, you know, independent Baptists are known for a strong stand. They're going to preach the Bible without apology. But the bad part is sometimes it's been done with a sour spirit. It's done with, I'm right, you're wrong attitude. Well, of course, you know what? We do believe we're right, right? We wouldn't if we didn't. But it's our attitude. It should be Jesus is right. Jesus' word is right. You know what? Let me show you from the word of God. And I think there's been a revival or a correction in some of that attitude and spirit um, in independent Baptists. It's a movement, so to speak, that they've seen how they've lost a generation of people because their attitude maybe worked in the previous generation, but it didn't work today. Okay? The gracious words was proceeded out of his mouth. Now, a sweet spirit with a weak stand makes our faith seem soft. So we don't want to err on the other extreme. But the right stand, a strong stand with the right spirit demonstrates that our faith is both strong and sweet. The consequence of a right stand with a right spirit is you'll see the Lord work through you. You'll see God bless you and use you. It's a church. We'll see our church grow spiritually healthy. People will want to be here. But we want, we got to be a witness, okay? People don't know about us here, okay? One, they won't ever come. You know what, Quinn only knew about this church because he drove by it. You know, there's a lot of people not driving by this church in this small town of Napa Vine. So we need to be a witness. We need to share the gospel with people. 
and let Jesus increase. And then through having Jesus increase, not us trying to increase our church, by seeing Jesus increase, Jesus can lift up the church as he sees please. He must increase in our devotion and worship. The question isn't, do we place Him high in our life? But rather, do we value Him the highest in our life? Let Jesus not just be one of your top priorities. Let Him be the top priority in your life. In all that we do, do we consider Christ? Is He our passion? Is He our love? You know, like Jesus spoke of the church at Ephesus, that they had the right doctrine. In many aspects. But they had lost their first love. They had their theology ducks in a row. But they lost that love. They lost that passion for Jesus. And if that's us, we've lost our passion, let's get it back. Let's ask Jesus to help us restore that first love that we had for Jesus. Let not our service be degraded into a mechanical orthodoxy. Okay, where it be teaching Sunday school, being an usher, um, teaching, filling the pulpit, um, whatever, maybe cleaning the church. Let it not be, oh, you know, we're just doing it. No, let it be doing it is a service unto Jesus that he might be increased. One has asked um, um, this other preacher before, um, I don't remember who it was, I forgot to write the offer down, but that someone asked him, was this really that big of a deal that they left their first love when they were still faithful in service and faithful in their teachings? He asked, thou hast left thy first love, is that serious? It is the most serious ill of all. For the church is the bride of Christ, and for a bride to fail in love is to fail in all things. As the church, we must love Jesus, or else we have lost our reason to be here. We're to fail greatly when we fell in our love. And as a church, you know, we want to be about the restoration business to help husbands and wives to restore that love toward one another. But that love to be restored to one another is really not going to be the fullest till our love is restored with Jesus. That Jesus is first. That we follow Jesus, and just for illustration, perfect, just like it's a triangle, has two corners in the bottom. As we get closer to the top, they get closer. And may we, as we get closer to Jesus, we get closer to our spouse. We get closer to our family, because we're getting closer to Jesus. When Hudson Taylor was the director of the China Inland Mission, we're almost finished, he often interviewed candidates for the mission field. On one occasion, he met with a group of applicants to determine their motivations for service. People applied, they wanted to go and help on the mission field with them. And he goes, why do you want to go as a foreign missionary? What do you think are some answers? Okay. What do you think some people said? Okay, God called me. Okay, good one. Anybody else? Brooke? Okay, have a burden for those specific people. Okay, anybody else? Okay, Brooke? I mean, Allison? 
It'll be exciting, yeah. You know what? People always say, oh, all the glories. We read these missionary biographies, and we're so excited. And we like read, we kind of skim over suffering, struggling. And we just see that now there's a book written about them, and they're well known now when they endured much. You know, those are all good things. And so he asked, okay, why do you wish to go as a foreign missionary? And one said, I want to go because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Great answer. Okay? Jesus did command it. Another reply was, I want to go because millions are perishing without Christ. Others gave similar answers that you just mentioned. But Hudson Taylor said, all of these motives, however good, will fail you in times of testings, trials, tribulations, and possible death. There is but one motive that will sustain you in trial and t- testing, namely the love of Christ. That your love for Christ will keep you going. It's the love of Christ that will keep you going. Yes, he's commanded it. Yes, there are people called that God calls to a particular place. Yes. Yes, we should obey Jesus' commands. But they're all going to fail if we don't do it out of a great love for Jesus. May our love increase for Jesus. Beware of putting productivity above worship. Christ ought to be preeminent to us. And the only way to discern what really matters most is to spend time at the feet of Jesus. The must of the servant. John said, I must decrease. Don't lift yourself up. Humble yourself. God could lift you up in His timing how He wants. But if God just wants to keep us low, May we rejoice in that. Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Yet will I serve him. Five years ago, Seattle Seahawks in their final game of the regular season, that was when I was a little bit more into football, before they started acting like a bunch of babies today. Which they already acted like that back then too. But, but anyways, in one of the regular season games against the Rams, Russell Wilson tied Peyton Manning's record for most touchdown passes by a rookie with 26. Then with one minute and 39 seconds left in the fourth quarter at the one-yard line, he had a chance to break the record. However, he ended up running for the touchdown instead of throwing. The Seahawks won 20-17 by that touchdown and extra point. When asked why he didn't take a shot at breaking the record of touchdown passes, he broke that record as a rookie. He said he wanted to. He goes, I wanted to break that record. This was a great rookie year. But it was more important to make sure his team won than for him to break an individual record. He looked at the benefit of his team overtaking chances at beating only a once 
in a lifetime record. She's only going to be a rookie one time. May Christ mean more to us than our own life, than our own comfort. He must be prominent. May we be inconspicuous. He must be brighter. May we be willing to get dimmer. He must go to the forefront. And we must go to the background. He must get larger while we get smaller. That we may be as the voice of one crying in the wilderness. But when our voice is silent, may His voice penetrate forever. I'm going to close with this. It's only 9 o'clock. Okay. <laughs> Two little saplings, okay? Two little trees in its infancy grew up side by side. Through the action of the wind, they crossed one another. By and by, the bark of each became wounded, and the sap began to mingle with one another until it, in some still day they became united together. It was as if it was one tree. The process went on more and more. And they became firmly compacted. The stronger began to absorb the life of the weaker. It grew larger and larger, while the other grew smaller and smaller, and began to wither and decline, till it finally dropped away and disappeared. And now there are two trunks at the bottom, and only one at the top, as far as the tree growing. Death has taken away the one, and life has triumphed in the other. And there was a time when many of you met Jesus. The wounds of your broken heart began to knit up with the wounds of His broken heart, and you were united with Christ. And where are you now? Are they two lives running parallel? Separate from one another? Or has the word of God been accomplished in you? That he must increase, but I must decrease. Has that old life, that sinful appetite, has it been growing less and less and less? More and more have you been mortifying it, until at last it seems almost to have disappeared. I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live not of myself, but by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Henceforth for me to live is Christ, not two, but one. In Christ, may our life be absorbed in Jesus. May he increase in the old nature, the old man, decrease. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that we will be willing to have the mindset, the heart, that may we decrease and see you increase. May you be glorified in our life. May we consider you at all times, consider you in all decisions, even when it's uncomfortable for us. May we do as you lead. He asked, Lord, that you would use us as a church. Small church that would grow in a healthy fashion, to grow in your word.
to grow in reaching people for Christ. Help us to be willing to be pioneers. Not to just choose the easy road where everything seems like a buffet is already provided. But that we'll be willing to be the cooks. That we'll be willing to be the ones that labor and toil in the work of the ministry. May we decrease and you increase. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this